0: Good morning. Uh, If you're you're new this morning, thank you for uh, being with us. My name is Jamin Carter. I'm one of the teaching pastors and the elders here at Christ City Church. And right now we're in a series on the eight practices uh, that we try to embody as a church. And and to explain more about what these eight practices are about and why they exist, we'll just back up for a minute and talk about the vision of our church and the mission of our church. Uh, Because our, our vision, when you talk about a vision, a way that we, we talk about it here is a vision is where we want to go. So the vision is where we want to go as a church, and that is that we want to be a place to belong and a place to know God. That's our vision as a church. That's what we want to embody. And so we've got that. We've got our destination that we want to we get to, and then our mission is what do we do along the way? How? What are the things that we do in order to get to that destination? And those things are embodied in our mission statement that says: becoming followers of Jesus, who recover their lives, reimagine their purpose, and refresh their world. And so those three things are. Um, well, they're more than three things. Becoming followers of Jesus, uh, who recover their lives reimagine their purpose and refresh their world. Those are the things that we are trying to do along the way as a congregation and as individuals to help us get to that destination, that, that vision of being a place to belong and a place to know God. And that leads us to our practices. So we're in a, in a series about these eight practices. And um, the practices are kind of like along the way as you're doing these things, What are the things you notice in particular that's happening that are helping you to recover your life, refresh your purpose, reimagine your world? If you envisioned it like a pot of soup, you taste a soup and you say, "Mm, that tastes like recovery of life. Mm, That tastes like reimagining my purpose. And then you say, you ask the person, well, what's that soup made out of? and the person starts listing you off the ingredients. Those are like our eight practices. What are the things that we practice together and individually that help make up the soup that's that unique flavor and spice that Christ City has? And so last week, Robin talked about the second uh, practice of seeking health, and this morning, we're focusing on the cultivation of spirituality, the cultivation of spirituality. And so um, in a moment, I'm gonna tell you three stories about that idea of cultivation of spirituality. And um, that's gonna help us and fill our imaginations with some ideas that can put some legs to this practice. But before we do that, I wanna talk about this phrase, cultivate spirituality. as, as elders and leaders, when we were discussing the names that we would call these things, uh, we kind of went back and forth with uh, what word we would use that we eventually ended on with spirituality. We talked about words like uh, discipleship or um, devotion or things like that. And, and, and it also was coming up like spirituality seems just kind of broad and, and somewhat general, um, Uh, It doesn't necessarily speak directly to the faith of Christianity. But as we continue to wrestle with it, we realize this this term spirituality has a really rich history in in our tradition. And that we found that if if we talked about that word, the spirituality of people who were created in the image of God and breathed into life by his spirit and then it, as Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, that we realize spirituality is a really powerful and evocative word that can call attention to so many of those things we want to embody here through that practice. And when we talk about the cultivation of spirituality, we break it up into, into three categories. We break it up and uh, we break it up into spirit, or a or, uh, spear eye this morning. Uh, <laughs> and mind and body. So these three categories here. So spirit being, being the sort of the invisible qualities of, of devotion to God, those, those sort of feelings and experiences that we might um, encounter uh, when we're worshiping here in a service or in, in a prayer time or things like that. A, a sense, something that we can't just quite describe through our other senses except through, through metaphors and things like that. And then, then mind, how we interact with God through our minds, through how we look at scripture and we think critically and rationally or not rationally about the world around us. And body, what are the disciplines? What are the the things that we actually do if we are fasting or we're attending regular uh, prayer times or regular service times in our lives? And so through the practice of these things, we are able to, as Peter writes about, Increase our effectiveness. Increase our effectiveness in the knowledge that we have of Jesus Christ. So often in my experience growing up in the Protestant church, there was a huge emphasis on knowledge. And if you got the right ideas down, then you were a good Christian and then you could disciple and train other Christians about all these ideas. And even as we were talking about that this morning uh, one, one of our partners said, uh, you know, I thought that way and yet nothing ever was changing in my life. I knew so much and yet nothing was changing. And he said the first thing that sort of broke that, uh, that cycle for him is someone said, you know, sometimes you just gotta do things, whether or not you've nailed down how clearly or well, well you believe them. So you just got to sometimes take action. And he said, when he started to take action more, he saw these three sort of categories of spirit, mind, and body sort of weaving and interacting together. And that he found that his spirituality was increasing through that cultivation, through that practice. But we all have areas in our life where we haven't cultivated much, right? So, For me, an example is high school. In high school, every time I had to take a test in in like an algebra two class or something, then all of the fact that I had not cultivated my understanding of math came back all in this big crisis like it was the first time. You know, so it's like 20 minutes before the test and I'm trying to study in my English language arts class because I was pretty good at English language arts and I could kind of you know weave through that pretty good. So I'm reading and I'm looking and it's a crisis. And then on the way there, I'm talking to God and I'm like, God, if you just bail me out this one time, I promise I'm gonna pray every day, all the time. I'm gonna like worship really hard. I'm always gonna raise my hands in the air, you know. And I'm just bargaining with God, right? And it's just over and over. This happens to me. It happened to me, right? It was just something that I couldn't control. <laughs> and there was obviously a lack of cultivation of discipline in my life to study algebra. So often, this is the case with our spirituality. You ever make bargains with God where you're going along in life and people are asking you how you're doing and everything's great. And, uh, and then something doesn't go great in your life, and then you're like, oh, I need to double down. I need to start praying. I need to start like going back to church every Sunday. I need to start like kind of raising my hands a little bit more, using Jesus when I'm talking to my friends, right? You go into this sort of crisis bargaining mode with God. If you have an area in your life when you could think back or you've experienced something sort of like that, that's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity to cultivate more. So if we think back about that, the apple tree that we looked at before with the kids, um, if you're on the podcast and you didn't hear that, but an apple tree only produces a lot of fruit if it's the soils properly cultivated, if the leaves and the branches are properly cultivated. And we wanna be a people who practice cultivating our spirituality so that we can get to that destination of being a place to belong and a place to know God. What's up, Mosleys? I just saw y'all. So these three stories I'm gonna tell you, there's a quote that I wanna preface these stories with from Dallas Willard. It's in your bulletin. And it expresses kind of where we're going with this idea and kind of even that illustration I shared. It's from Dallas Willard. It's on the bottom of your bulletin right here underneath Benjamin's scribbles on mine. Great faith, like great strength in general, is revealed by the ease of its working. Most of what we think we see as the struggle of faith is really the struggle to act as if we had faith when in fact we do not. So, Can you relate to that idea? Have you ever been trying to to bargain with God or or cram, cram for the test of being spiritual to make it out of a, a jam? And what you end up doing, you think what you're doing is exhibiting faith, but you're really exerting a bunch of effort to try to do something you haven't trained to do. So, rather than just give you a list of things that you could do to train, I wanna tell you a couple of stories, three stories, of what it looks like in different ways when we cultivate certain things in our life and how that affects how we act on our spirituality. Right? So, story number one. There's a, there's a man and he's minding his own business. And we don't really know much about this guy. But this other man, who's this really dramatic spiritual leader who's experienced some super highs and super lows, and he has people after his life uh, because of ways that he has spoken to power and grappled and wrestled with um, different leaders, political and spiritual leaders in the ancient world. And um, this, this leader, he hears this small voice and he's completely convinced that it's God. And one of the things that, it, that he hears is you need to go find this guy and he needs to be your successor. And that's where we find in the scriptures where we're gonna read from to continue this story. The the leader's name was Elijah. So from 1 Kings, it's going to be on the screen, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19, if you want to follow along. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. It's 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. Someone making a decision in the moment, but obviously there's a lot behind that idea and we're gonna talk about it after the other two stories. So the second story about someone who's cultivated very specific things in their life is about a woman who was 42 years old at the time, in Montgomery, Alabama, and she had finished work for the day, and she went to a store and picked up some things, and she caught a bus home at 5 30 p.m., and when she got on the bus, she entered through the back door of the bus, the the rear door, uh, because by law, she was made to have to do that, and as she got onto the bus, she saw the front area was full. It was full of people that didn't weren't the same skin color as her. And the back of the bus was also full of people with the same skin color as her. And there were a few seats left in the middle. And so she sat down, and there were three other people that sat down with her that were all the same skin color as her. Well then, at the next bus stop, more people got on. And those people were not of her skin color, and the bus driver got up and walked to the place where she was sitting as happened when the bus got full and told her and the other three people sitting there to get up. And this guy, uh, Rosa, had had experiences before and she had tried to always avoid riding the bus with him. And this wasn't the first time that she had done something like what she was about to do, but it was a special time that was the result of things that had been cultivated in her life up to that point. And so the other three got up. But I want you to hear from this woman, her name was Rosa Parks in 1955, what she said about this event when this was taking place. As I sat there, I tried not to think about what might happen. I knew that anything was possible. I could be manhandled or beaten. I could be arrested. People have asked me if it occurred to me then that I could be the test case for the NAACP. I did not think about that at all. In fact, if I had let myself think too deeply about what might happen to me, I might have gotten off the bus. And the next quote as well. This time, the time had come, had just come, when I had been pushed as far as I could stand to be pushed, I suppose. I had decided that I would have to know once and for all what rights I had as a human being and a citizen. And lastly, when I made that decision, I knew that I had the strength of my ancestors with me. Story number two. Story number three takes us into the ancient world once again. And it's about a man who was greatly loved by the people and was teaching and proclaiming things and uh, was receiving a lot of favor. And then he comes to his hometown and there's a story in Luke chapter four about this man. You might've heard of him, his name's Jesus. Uh, Luke four, chapter 14. And in this story, we're paying particular attention, not to Jesus, but to the responses of the people that are there with Jesus and what they've cultivated. So I'm gonna turn there in my scripture cause I didn't fit that into my notes. And it says in Luke four, starting in verse 14, Jesus re- returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners And recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Story three. In all three of these stories, there was a key moment that took place in a person's life and they made a decision. I think for a long time in in my immaturity, in all areas of my life, I would think that like for that math test that I really could, if I worked really hard for 20 minutes, maybe pass that math test. I'm still that way in the area of getting places on time. I told my wife this morning, there's more time here. I know it. I just haven't found it yet. And I was, I was joking with my, myself and she started to say something, but she caught herself. Um, so there, there are things that we keep trying to sort of do and muster. But when those 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 important moments in our life. And they don't have to be um, the beginning of the ending of segregation like Rosa Parks. They could be ordinary moments. And actually for her, it was an ordinary moment. But depending on what we've cultivated in our life, what we've taken the time and paid attention to in our spirit and our mind and our body, when we get to those moments, your willpower is not enough your right thinking by itself will not be enough. It takes a careful and ongoing practice. So let's go back to this story of of Elisha. This guy's minding his own business. He's plowing with 12 oxen. I don't know what y'all know about plowing with 12 oxen, but he's doing pretty good, all right? It's like he's, he's rolling in a Cadillac, okay, with his 12 oxen. And what happens is this guy comes along and through a gesture that was apparently known um, to pass on or to call a disciple, Elijah, this big, big guy, who's got a very controversial and dangerous life. It's not like he's getting called up into some cushy job here. he, He puts his cloak on Elisha and he continues walking. And in that moment, whatever Elisha had cultivated in his life was going to come out. So if this pretty well-to-do guy, if his main concern and what he had cultivated was increasing his wealth and his resources and amassing a greater kingdom of his own, that would have affected how he would have responded. Maybe he still would have gone, but he certainly would have not have done what he did next. Next, he runs up and says, "Hey, just let me take care of some things." He says it like this. Let me go and kiss my parents goodbye." And then he goes back, and what does he do? He kills what? What does he kill? Tell me people. The oxen. So he sells the Cadillac right? He sells the Cadillac, but not only that, he takes the proceeds of selling the Cadillac and he gives it away to the community. So he takes the plowshare, the thing that he actually used to, the oxen were driving to cultivate his nice land that he had, and he sets it on fire and he boils the meat of the oxen and he gives it out to the community. Because what Elisha knows is that what he is about to embark on is going to be difficult and it's going to be challenging and he's gonna to wanna to give up and he's gonna to wanna to go back to the life that he already had because there were certain things about that life that were just so comfortable and so easy. But he knew in that moment that if he made that decision that that would affect the rest of his life and other people's life around him. And so he left himself no back door, he burned the ship. He literally burned his belongings and gave away the rest. Left himself no backdoor. I wonder what kind of things had this man cultivated in his life to be able to make such a decision. If we say to ourselves, well, if that kind of thing ever happened to me, surely I would be like Elisha. Maybe you would, but if you have not cultivated and spent time Carefully paying attention to these areas of spirituality in your life, you probably wouldn't. Point in case, our second story, Rosa Parks. When she sat there on that bus, in that seat, thousands of black people had done that before her. And gotten up. Some didn't get up and they were pulled off the bus and beaten. One was killed. But what the stories about Rosa Parks don't often tell us is what her life was like before that moment. She was a 42-year-old seamstress. And and, and the, the mythology around it goes that she was just tired. She was just tired from a long day at work, and she was just kind of fed up. But her life tells a different story. Her great-grandfather had been a slave. Her father had held vigils at night to keep them safe from the Ku Klux Klan. She had grown up hearing about the pride of the accomplishments of her people. And over a decade before this event had taken place, she had joined an activist community for the rights of black people. At that time, she was only allowed to be a secretary because she was a woman. And yet she went around getting signatures from people and conducting interviews and and going into unsafe spaces. And so in her life, she was cultivating courage. She was cultivating a belief and a faith and a hope that things could be different. And so when she was on that bus and she said, nah, not getting up. And the man who had a pistol on his belt who had left her at the bus stop previously when he had told her to get back off and go around, left her in the rain, he said, well, then I'm gonna call the police. And she responded and said, you may do that. And so she was arrested. And she became one of the most important figures of the civil rights movement. That arrest precipitated a 380-day boycott against buses by black people in Montgomery, Alabama. And the end result was equality in transportation at that time. She didn't just do that on a whim. That was the life that had been cultivated for her and the life that she had cultivated for herself, her spirituality, what she found to be important and hopeful. If we are waiting in our life for a moment, like when that happens, then I'll do this in my life for God. Then I'll start being generous. Once I get that job or that pay raise, or then I'll start volunteering and serving, or then I will commit myself to a regular time of prayer with my family or whatever that discipline might be, if we're waiting for something in our lives, we're going to miss it over and over. There were four people in those bus aisles, three got up and moved. It was the life that this woman had cultivated that allowed her to remain seated. Story number three. Jesus preaching. I'm sure it's a story if you've been in church for any length of time, you're, you're probably pretty familiar with it. He's preaching in his hometown and man, people are eating it up. They're loving what he's saying. And then a moment comes for these people and it shows the depth or lack of depth of their spirituality. Because what Jesus does is he points out something and it's something that had always been there. But it was something the people in front of them, in front of him, had never wanted to see. It's because what Jesus points out is that the God of the scriptures was always about more than just the people that looked like them and were of their culture and their particular persuasions in life. And so they were good with Jesus until he brought that up. And insult, is that how you say? Insult to injury. He said, and I ain't gonna do no miracles for y'all too. So he rubs it in. And so in that moment, what we see is this particular group of people in front of Jesus, we see what kind of spirituality that they had cultivated in their lives. They were there. They were there for the gathering and probably were regularly. But what we find is that some balance was missing that they could not receive that word from Jesus. So much, so much rage and anger was evoked in them by hearing this truth that had always been there that they sought to take his life. This is why I think this balance is so important of spirit, mind, and body. It can keep us from being ineffective. Spirit devotion, you guys are all here. You're you're worshiping. That's that's one of the parts we're pretty good at uh, in in the Protestant church is is worshiping and giving praise and thanks to God and feeling that in our spirits. And it's a good thing to do. I hope that you have felt something in your spirit even as I've been talking to you and that you're listening and paying attention to that and not just running over things in your mind. And practices and disciplines. Well, we're okay at that, I guess. Um, regular times of prayer. We have a prayer time uh, going on right now at 6, 6 a.m. actually during Lent um, that is at uh, the Playhouse on the Square office on the fifth floor. Uh, so it's every, every Wednesday at 6 a.m. during Lent. And it's a, it's a, it's a great time to practice, to practice a practice. But the body and acts of service and doing those type of things. Um, we get some of those things in there and it's good. And we can examine our lives and see where do we need more balance. Then there's also this aspect of the mind. And for the next couple of minutes, I wanna, I wanna camp there until it's time for us to close and think about, but um, when we look and we think about the scriptures, the scriptures, it's very important how we read them and what it is that we're looking for in them. So critical thinking. Uh, case in point, the, the people in the text there, um, those things were there in the scriptures, but when Jesus called attention to them, they became angry, they became fearful, they became frustrated. And those responses aren't wrong, but the action that came out of that was, was certainly wrong. And I think that's something important that we're trying to cultivate here at Christ City is to create a space where we can also engage our minds in scripture, not just taking wholesale whatever was given to us and to be able to have our feelings around those things, but so that we can grow. Because if we don't, we will miss certain opportunities. We will become angry and make decisions that are hurtful if we don't do that with scripture because scripture can be used for many, many things. Some of us have been taught, hey, it just says it on the page and that's what it is. It doesn't require an interpretation. But there are thousands of theologians through church history who agreed on mostly the main things and disagreed on pretty much anything else in between. So whoever told you that was really probably scared themselves of what's in these pages of the Bible. So the emphasis that we've put and put on trying to read this and that be our spiritual cultivation without the emphasis of interacting through the bodily practices and the spiritual devotion has become a problem and has been a problem for a long time. There's a point at which Jesus is addressing this very directly. In Matthew 19, they're asking him about divorce. They're trying to catch him like they always are, catch him in his words. And they say, hey, didn't Moses say that we could send our wives a letter of divorce and divorce them? And he said, yeah, for sure. He said that. But he said that, and that law was given because of the hardness of your hearts. And so we see Jesus doing this over and over again. We see him drawing things out of the scriptures that are making us more kind like Peter was talking about, that we get brotherly love and kindness through those things, that we become more sharp about what we're actually seeing in the world around us. It's all there. It's all there for us. But can we tune into it? Participating, as Peter says, in the divine nature. But it takes spirit, mind, and body to discern the nature of the divine. It is not just sitting alone in a cave reading your Bible and coming out with the answers. There have been a lot of people doing that. And with what they do with that, they cause pain and suffering. One recent example former Attorney General Jeff Sessions quoted Romans 13 about obeying authorities when they were separating children from their parents at the borders. Gross misuse of the scriptures and what Jesus communicated to us about those scriptures. And yet, there are many Christians who have expressed similar things that I've heard at different times. Thankfully, I haven't heard that from you guys. And if if it's there, that's okay. That's what we got to work through those things though. Saying, well, the civil rights movement was a sin because of Romans 13. So when we get into a small little area of cultivating our spirituality, think about if we just poured only fertilizer into that tree, just fertilizer, no soil, no water, that tree ain't gonna do too well. And so we need this balance. We need this cultivation of soil and fertilizer and water and sunlight, and careful looking and attention, and finding what needs to be pruned, what needs to be adjusted, what needs to be changed. And we have a gardener to help us do that, Jesus. That's what Mary thought he was when when she saw him at the resurrection. She thought he was the gardener. And when we think about that, and how that can work together as we cultivate spirituality, there's there's a verse from John 5 that that Jesus, again, he, he says this so well because he's Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. A scholar, Bible scholar named Keaton L. Sparks, he says it like this on the screen as well. God is our ultimate authority and he mediates this authority to us through creative means, including, including through a book written and assembled by human beings. And another way from Richard Rohr, that we can avoid uh, this, uh, this idea of, uh, of only addressing the mind through the Bible. We've made an idolatry of the medium instead of accessing of the, me- an accessing of the message. These things are mediums, these practices of cultivating spirituality. So the purpose of them is not the thing itself, who I prayed today, so great, check it off my list. The purpose is to bump into the divine and participate in the divine nature. And we have a tendency to make idols. Protestants, the reason why I focused for these last five or seven minutes on the Bible is because that's been our main idol. Other traditions have other main idols. And so that's what we're doing here at Christ City. We're seeking to cultivate the spirituality of these mediums so that we can encounter the divine and hopefully not miss God in the same ways that those before us did. Let's pray.